0: Statistically, the wife is going to live about five to seven years longer than the man. Uh, One statistic I saw is that male advisors and 86% of the people in this business are males. uh, Seven out of 10 widows will fire that male advisor. (laughs)
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Get Your Fill, Financial Independence and Long Life, where we explore ways to achieve those two goals, and we invite people on who can do a great job and help us. And that's why it's so great that Michael Allison's with us today. Michael is a financial provocateur. So (laughs) he is the founder and CEO of New Lantern Advisors, helping people. Well, let's let's just let him tell us all about his new, your new, now that you've defected from Boston, which I won't hold against you (laughs) because- Tell us, Michael, how you're helping people who are kind of like in that place where they either feel like they're ready to retire, or they maybe they already have, and now they're like, okay, now, like you like you said, what, what's next?
0: <laughs> uh, well, thanks, thanks, and Christine for the chance to uh, to to be with you today. I, uh, you know, I formed New Lantern after I retired from a 33 year investment management career in the corporate world. Um, with the idea of working um, more directly with with clients not to uh, join another big firm but to just have a way to have a more direct impact on on uh, on folks um, and you know the idea uh, I, I actually don't work with clients i work with fellow travelers um, <laughs> i love you that. know because my ideal client is someone who's just like me you know kind of uh, you, you, you worked, whatever it is, you had your own business or you worked in a corporate environment or whatever it is. And you kind of get to that place where I need to change. I want to do something else, but I don't know what it is. Uh, I don't want to just check out and go play golf and, and, you know, be bored. You know, people, retirement can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. For me, it's a transition and, and others, it's a transition to your next chapter. And uh, I also believe that um, after a very long period of, of uh, very strong uh, returns in the capital markets, financial markets, uh, I think that human capital is undervalued. And I think that's one of the other ways to think about um, what your next chapter is, is, is to continue to monetize that human capital in ways that are much more uh, flexible than ever. You know? And so that's why I think people that come in to this idea of retirement, um, it's not just an age, it's not just a, a, you know an amount. It's it's about it's a transition to what do you want to do next? And if you uh, are like me uh, and others like me, that uh, you know sort of you, you had that uh, that that period of time where you worked for a few decades in, in maybe a particular profession, uh, maybe you had a family, maybe the nest is empty. And it's time, and you have now time to kind of focus a little more inward on what do you want to do next? What does that mean? What does that look like? And one of the things that technology and, and others, uh, other things, including the aftermath of the pandemic, uh, has has freed people up to think and do different things and not be necessarily tied to a particular, uh, you know, profession, a particular geography, um, you know, just it's a lot more flexibility in the way that we conduct our lives going forward. And, and so having that part of the conversation to me is, is the the really fun part.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I do interview people who are, you know, they're 35 years old and they're retired or whatever. And I think to myself, 35 years old and you're, what do you get? 50 years stretched ahead (laughs) of you to be like, quote unquote, retired, right? How much, as you said, how much golf can you play? You know? (laughs) So retirement has to mean something a little bit more than just, you know, I'm just going to sit on my porch and rock in a rocking chair, right? So it, it, and that's, I, I also feel like that's hard, a hard thing for people to get excited about in a way. I mean, it it used to be, I hate my job and, you know, I'm going to work there for 40 years and then I'm going to leave. And then, you know, I'll just, then it'll be time. I'll sit around and do whatever things I like to do that I never got to do when I was working. But to me, it's more like, I don't have to do anything I don't want to (laughs) do. Right, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to do anything. Right.
0: <laughs> right. And that, that's a, that's a very important distinction. Uh, and, and that to me is what retirement is. It's the ability now that you have perhaps fewer responsibilities than you did when you were younger. It's the ability to not do anything you don't want to do and to control your, have much more control over your schedule and your day. And, uh, and, and to just um, just to have more, for, more, more freedom with your time. And that to me is the ultimate wealth, is freedom to do what you want to do and and, and, and um, you know, freedom with your, with your time. One of the things I, I help focus folks on is this idea of don't retire from something, retire to something. And what is that? What is your what's next?
1: Yeah. And how do you help people to determine that? Because a lot of people don't really know.
0: I, I think uh, there's no single way to answer it. It's really more a conversation and because series of conversations, you just keep, keep talking and getting people to think about it. Um, you know, that, uh, um, that, that idea of the three, uh, conjoined circles, uh, that, uh, that, that we all saw in school or whatever, where, you know, w- what are you good at? what do you love to do and what can you get paid to do in the place where those three circles come together that's what I told both my kids uh, my daughter uh, graduated uh, in 2020 tough year to graduate yeah. and my son is uh, a rising senior in college and both of them when they went to school I said your job is to figure out where the three circles meet whatever else you do in college that's you know if you want to be successful in college, walk out of there and have some idea what that what that answer is. Yeah. And um, and so I think that, that helping people think in those terms is really the, the work when it comes to reframing how we think about our human capital.
1: Yeah. One, one of the problems I, I find with people when you're trying to get the answer to the first question, you know, what are you good at, is that. I think we all assume that everybody else has our talents, but then they also have their own, right? So you think, wow, you know, I'm just behind, you know, or I'm not, I'm not that. Oh yeah, okay, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty good at that. But you don't realize that everybody else isn't also pretty good at that. So how do you help people to kind of narrow down? Do do people come to you and they all, all already pretty much know what they're good at, or are you helping them all sort of define that?
0: Um, I would say most of the time they have at least an idea. They may be wrong. (laughs) <laughs> but they have an idea about what they think they're good at. Uh, and, you know, and so that becomes part of the conversation. Uh, but, um, but it, it's, it's, I think by the time one gets to that point, uh, they, they've accumulated a set of, of skills, um, and maybe not just skills per se, but, you know, as, as we, as we age, we accumulate knowledge and that, knowledge becomes something that kind of gets crystallized uh, in into a set of experiences that got you to the place where you are. And uh, and I think that is, that's the, the real driver of the conversation, you know, kind of where do you, where have you come from? You sit here today and you want to make a change. You want to have some version, you want to have a transition, um, but what does that transition, what are you taking with you into that transition?
1: And then, from that. So let's say that I used to, you know, I was an I was a CPA or whatever, and now I'm coming into retirement. I don't want to do CPA stuff anymore, but like, what kind of things, you know, I mean, I wasn't a CPA, but let's just have it like an imaginary scenario, like the kind of things you might ask somebody or that you might help them to dig down to something else that they might love to do. That's still using their talents, but that isn't, doesn't look like their old job.
0: I would, I would say that conversation could go something along the lines of, um, you, you, you're an accountant, um, and, and accounting in a lot of different ways, uh, you know, is everywhere in life. And so how could you use your accounting skills in a new application that isn't necessarily obvious, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, I don't know how that might manifest, but, but getting someone to think about, well, I like I liked to uh, paint, you know? I don't know how good I am at painting. Uh, me personally, I don't paint, but uh, this, is, this is our theoretical uh, uh, person right. we're, we're conversing <laughs> with. Uh, you know, And, and is, there a, is there a way to tie interest in painting with your accounting skills that you accumulated over the years? Can you apply that somehow? Uh, maybe you're, maybe you're drawing, you know, uh, graphs of, of, of things to help other people grasp accounting concepts. And, uh, you know, that's, that's maybe an example of how to bring some of those things together, things you want to do, things you're good at, things you can get, you know, paid to do.
1: Yeah. When, when you're talking with people, how important, I mean, of course is generalization, but the paid for it piece. I mean, are, are people, just, is that just sort of like a, a confirmation that what you're doing is valuable or do people, is this part of people's retirement planning, the actual, that they would get um, reimbursed for whatever it is that they want to do?
0: For me, for for me, the ideal person to talk to is someone that believes that, um, that they still have talent and skill that's worth some monetary value. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and yes, that can be and probably should be part of the financial plan, but you know, plan is a verb in this. You know, in my my uh, approach, not a, <laughs> an, a, you know an outcome or a or a, a thing. Right. Um, so the, the the planning is an ongoing thing, and uh, you know, lots and lots of people um, who are quote retired also now they have a consulting business where they have, yeah, they make, they make some money. I mean, that's the, that's the joy of being able to have the conversation with uh, you know, with yourself and your spouse or whatever to say, okay, we want to make a transition Uh, financially, you know, we're okay or we're close to okay, but I've got a little, I've got a bit of a gap to fill. What do I want to fill that with besides social security? Um, You know, that that becomes a way to think about how to continue to monetize and and derive value from what you are capable of. Some people, you know, work at the grocery store just because they like to be around people, even though they don't have to work, you know, but they, but they take a job just doing something to be around other people. Uh, And that's a piece of it as well. So the, to take yourself off the playing field completely. And then, you know, just kind of isolate. That's a tough, that's a tough thing. And I don't think what we're geared for as humans.
1: Yeah. But I would also think that if they, if somebody starts working with you early enough and factors that into their plan, that they could potentially stop their day job, you know, sooner because rather than having to wait until they can completely support themselves in their retirement, they know they're going to have a little bit of income. So
0: I would, I would agree with him. Yeah.
1: So who, who is your, I mean, you talked a little bit about your ideal client. How does the, how does a typical sort of first meeting with you go when you, when you're starting to work with somebody who, you know, knows that they want to do something really good and valuable, something that's going to really light them up when they retire, but they just don't have any idea what that might be.
0: <laughs> well, I think that. <clears throat> No one, no one wakes up in the morning and says, well, I should really go get a financial advisor uh, or, or a financial planner. Um, usually there's a catalyst, uh, either current or anticipated catalyst. And that could be, I'm ready to leave this job and go do something else. Um, or I want to start my own business. You know, uh, More and more people in their 50s, 60s and beyond are starting their own business. Um, partly to deal with, uh, you know, ageism that still exists in the, in the corporate world where, you know, uh, older older workers get, you know, sort of looked, up, looked, up, uh, looked over. Um, but, uh, you know, it goes back to being able to have more freedom uh, and more control over your time. If you work for yourself, you, you have that. Um, but the first conversation typically comes from someone wants to, to make a change, have a transition of some sort. And, uh, you know, and, and, and that sort of is the reason that they want to talk to somebody because there's the, the sleep at night component to all of that is, you know, you have those conversations at the kitchen table and saying, you know, are we going to be okay if you step off this treadmill? And, uh, you know, and so helping get that framing um, uh, kind of dealt with and, and think about like, can we sleep at night? if we're going to go ahead and do this, or should I keep working for another 10 years and being miserable because I wanted to change, you know, so I'll just stay there for another 10 years, what have you. So, so that's really the, 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 are we going to be okay? Conversation is really where it typically begins.
1: Yeah.
0: And then, you know, that can take a number of different paths, depending on their, their situation, their family situation, their, Maybe their spouse is, spouse is younger and still is working. So that, you know, provides an additional, you know, sort of cushion. And so there's lots, lots of different paths that could take, but it typically starts with, I'd like to make a transition. Or are we going to be okay? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, that's, um, so on your website, it says that you like, you like to work with people who are, you know, ready to retire or they've just retired. So it's, it's kind of like, doesn't that's not necessarily age specific right because a lot of people would say well by the time they retired you know it's too late to help them financially
0: (laughs) actually uh, that's very much not the case and and that goes back to um you know you you go through this accumulation phase where you're saving and investing and building up your resources your financial resources Um, but then part of the transition that you that that person goes through is going from getting a paycheck to writing their own paycheck from their investment accounts. Right. Right. And so um, that goes back to the, the, thing I said earlier, what, what got you here won't get you there. And so it takes a new, a new approach to how you invest and what uh, I I call it, the three headed dragon of risk. There's three components of risk. There's the confidence to take risk. That's also known as risk tolerance. And that's kind of where most advisors stop. They say to the, to the client, well, you know, and there's some behavioral psychology kind of uh, quizzes that you can give the client to get sort of the score of their risk tolerance. But then, you know, uh, that's some it falls short. You also have the other the, the other two, which is um, the uh, capacity to take risk, and that is really more of a life cycle question, because the um, the most critical years when you're starting to to take. Money out of your investment accounts. The most in critical years are those a couple of years before retirement, and the few years early in retirement, where you can't. I mean, think about. Technically, uh, I retired from my corporate job, and December 31st of 2021. So, from a financial standpoint, uh, the first half of 2022, uh, <laughs> if I was as exposed. Uh, know, personally, uh, financially, uh, as I had been uh, in the few years prior, uh, our kitchen table conversations would be not so fun. (laughs) So there's a period where it's appropriate to to de-risk because uh, uh, taking money out of your accounts in the midst of a market pullback like we've had um, really does damage to the long-term financial health of the household. Right. And so there's that capacity question. Like you really, even if you wanted to take risk, it's not appropriate that you do at this time for a while. Yeah. Um, and then the third uh, um, component of risk is the compensation for taking risk. And that is, um, you know, the, the relative value of various investments and the returns that they, they might get. So you have confidence, capacity, and compensation. There's those three components of, of risk and uh and that be, and that kind of goes back to the 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 drum that i continue to beat about undervalued human capital and at least to a certain extent um after a 40-year uh bull market in financial assets uh bonds and stocks and real estate you have a secular decline in interest rates which drove a, a very long cycle of very excellent returns for financial assets and if you look at a really long map of history there are periods of very good returns like we've had, and then the the returns are not so good for a while. And maybe the market just kind of marks time for a few years and lets the economy catch up. And I'm of the view that that's probably a pretty good likelihood. But one of the things that has driven corporate profits is you know excellent profit margins. And a lot of that's come at the expense of labor. Yeah. Not to not to get political about it, but it's really just kind of the relative value of labor versus capital. And, uh, and and that's another way of thinking about the inflation that we're seeing. And the and you know, the returns to human capital, I think, are on the upswing. And that to me is another part of the conversation about don't don't sell your human capital short and just take it all off the table at the time when you know it the the ability to monetize that human, yet human capital is only going to improve for a number of years. And a lot of that's secular and demographically driven because of just the, you know, the labor shortages are real and that's because of the aging of our population. And so I, I think people under, you know, under appreciate how important it is to keep working not only from a psychological standpoint but also a financial standpoint keep working in whatever fashion that means, you know, they don't have to keep doing what they've been doing. It's cool to do something else because you want a change and a transition, but, but it's, you know, it's not a financially wise decision to just all of a sudden take your, the value of your human capital to zero uh, at at this time. Uh, You know, I think it's the, you know, the value of labor is on the upswing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I know you want every place you drive by, you know, signing bonus, you know, thousands right. of dollars just to, you know, say that you'll work for these p- jobs that I think are kind of considered just very, you know, low, mm-hmm. not menial jobs, but jobs that don't require a lot of skill, like the, the type of job where they're going to, you know, train you there or, you know, when I went by this furniture place, you know, there to be a furniture delivery guy is like going to be, or, or gal is like $2,500 signing bonus. Like, gee, that's pretty, that's pretty good. You know, yeah. <laughs> and it's probably and, not going to take you long to figure out how to do that job. Well, right. So, but I want to bring you back to something that you were just saying, because I want to make sure that people really appreciate and understand, um, you know, what you're talking about in, in your, um, your capacity, your risk capacity, because, like you said, let's say that I need to have X amount per month, I need to have $5,000 a month and the stock market just tanked. And so in order for me to get that $5,000, if I'm completely relying on my, on my portfolio, I'm now going to have to sell a lot more, right? Can you just explain how that, that works, how you get forced into a situation where you have to sell really low and how that erodes your value more than you might think.
0: That's uh, a great insight, and that's really the key part of this, you know, the, the risk management ethos of of this firm, and, you know, and, and it came from many of the, the portfolios that I, I managed in my prior corporate life, uh, very much a risk management orientation, the idea of getting paid t- for, to take the risks, you, getting paid to take the risks that you take, uh, and that goes back to the compensation of risk. Um, but um, this, this concept of sequence of returns risk, which is a concept that um, you know, if you have a portfolio that is either static or you're or you're contributing to in the accumulation phase of your life, um, then you know when the market pulls back, you know, you just it's going to come back at some point, right? But when if you have to take money out of your accounts to to live, and that's what you know, the idea of a traditional retirement is you have a certain number of uh, expenses. And so you have to take money out. If, if it's a, you know, uh, a a portfolio that is now worth 20% less than it was, and you have to take money out, then you're having to, you're having to sell more than you would have otherwise. And at the same time, you've taken that now out of the portfolio, so when the market does recover, the body of the portfolio, the, the the pool of assets, is smaller than it was because you had to take money out when the market was down, and so that five thousand, when the market is down, that five thousand a month represents a higher proportion of the overall portfolio than it did before the market came down, and so that's the idea for you know very important in the early years of retirement to be able to. To just not take that kind of drawdown, you just have to have less risk in the portfolio, uh, and, and, and that is a like I said, that's bringing the investment experience that I do to this conversation with folks is is to me the most value that I can bring. Uh, you know the and that's why it, it, I've focused on the, the the type of client that I do, which is think you have to think differently. When you're coming into retirement and you're turning off the whatever external compensation was coming in, if you're going to take that to zero, then you have to think very, very differently about your portfolio and what you can do, the risks that you can take in that portfolio. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And there is no, since there is no real safe (laughs) investment, that's never (laughs) going to go down. If you have a pandemic, then, you know, it's nice if you're in a position where you've got some other income and you can just say, well, okay. I don't really feel like selling, you know, half my portfolio just to get my right. <laughs> my living expenses this month. I'd rather wait, you know, right. three months and just wait for them to rebound. Right? It can make a huge difference.
0: Agreed.
1: What kinds of things are are you particularly excited about in in this firm? You know, and it's it's sort of still a new endeavor for you. So, yes. what kinds of things are really are, are there things that you're really enjoying that you didn't? necessarily anticipate that you you think that we're as much as rewarding as they are?
0: Um, the freedom of, um, time and to, you know, create my own schedule is, is something that is really, really neat, but I will say that, um, the pandemic for my wife and I, the pandemic sort of gave us a little test drive about what it would be like to be retired (laughs) from the corporate world you know, uh, you're in, you're in the Boston area as was I for for 26 years, you know, I took the same train to work for 25 years, except for when I traveled for work, but you know, uh, and, and so when they sent us home in March of 2020 and, uh, we started all working from home, uh, I, I only went into the office two more times in the, in the, the two years following that. Yeah. So, uh, and, and you hear stories about, uh, you know, marriages that didn't do too well, uh, in, in the pandemic, uh, you know, because people were spending all their time together and <laughs> maybe they figured out they didn't like that person that much. I'd love um, to see
1: the statistics of house size versus, you know, how many marriages, yeah. right. People in a smaller yeah. home, maybe more likely to like, you've got to go, you know, this
0: is not, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's true. But, uh, fortunately for, for us, uh, you know we we really enjoyed spending time together and do and do today you know we, and, and so it it uh it, it was kind of a that's the one of the silver linings of the pandemic for us was kind of to see what it's like to spend that much time together because uh you know i used to joke about working half days i would i would leave the off i would leave home to, to catch the train at six 30 in the morning. And on a good day, I'd get home at six 30 at night. So
1: that's a half day. Uh, all right. Yeah, <laughs> it's a half
0: day. So, you know, I went from seeing my wife just a few hours a day during the week to all day, every day. And it's, it was, uh, it was nice. We would celebrate our 30th anniversary next, next Monday. So. Wow,
1: congratulations. Uh,
0: but, uh, but yeah, so that, that part was uh, that, that part's been neat. Um, there's, this firm, this idea um, was a few years in the making. It took a, a couple of different shapes in terms of what I thought I might do. But um, what I don't want to do is build a big company. Uh, you know, I, I left that kind of responsibility uh, in, in my corporate role. You know, I had a big team, had a lot of responsibility in terms of looking after other people's money and you know, their hopes and dreams. Uh, now I wanna work with a much more select and smaller group directly. But the other more exciting part for me is to take some of these concepts of, of investment and risk management and that sort of stuff uh, that I do for my own uh, direct clients and work with other financial advisors to help them do some of the same things for their clients again this idea of a new lantern a new way of talking with folks and a new way of thinking about how you invest and the way it's appropriate that you invest and so i'm working on some things uh, to begin to offer to other advisors uh, in in terms of uh, model portfolios and that sort of stuff too and and you know some education component to that too because you know i used to run some pretty complex um, equity products and uh, being able to port those over to working more uh, directly with clients and their own direct accounts, as opposed to a big you know, fund uh, that that's been actually kind of a cool thing too, because uh, we used to always talk about how great it would be if you started with a blank slate and you didn't have sort of the existing legacy business that you had to protect when you're trying to evolve and do new and innovative things. Yeah. Well, I have, I had a blank sheet of paper. So a lot of the strategies that uh, that, that I used to, um, you know, work on, I now can do for. Uh, you have to make some compromises because the the numbers are smaller, uh, just from the implementation of it. But uh, but a blank sheet of paper in terms of the concepts and, uh, you know, the folks I've talked to, both my direct clients, but also uh, other advisors, it, it's resonating. It resonates, and so. I think that that's where my three circles are going to come together in this next chapter for me.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, you know, that you're when, when you can do that, when you're not thinking like, okay, where's my next meal going to come from? Like, what? how can I reimagine? And that's how when you think of some of the new businesses that have started. That's what it is. It's like somebody stepped back and said like, you know, what's wrong with the way we get taxis today, right? What's right. wrong with the, what's wrong with this model or what could be better in this model? And, and it's, it's fantastic because this, I don't think retirement looks the way it used to for people, for most people. I mean, certainly most people are not having any kind of a severance package. They're not having, right, they're not, they're not getting, um, no, I'm having a complete mental block, but you know, when they used to pay you every month to be um, retired, <laughs>
0: Yeah. Pension.
1: Pension. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah, couldn't, def- couldn't yeah, find that word. Traditional,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, the traditional, uh, you know, what they call defined benefit, uh, pension, which is where, you know, you work a certain number of years. And so you're going to get X number of dollars per month, as long as you live, uh, you know, that, that has been on the decline for, uh, you know, several decades now, uh, very few beyond, uh, you know, education and, um, you know government kind of uh situations the corporate world very few of those plans are even offered now they offer what's referred to as a defined contribution plan your 401k that sort of stuff so they'll contribute they'll match but right. you invest it and you take all the risk as the as the saver right exactly. and, uh, and and hope you know hope that it all works out <laughs> yeah, and get so, hope for uh, the best and if not exactly. well
1: hopefully i had a lot of rich kids you know
0: yeah so who, <laughs> I don't who said it but hope is not a strategy right uh, so. <laughs> <That's for sure. laughs> so uh but that but that uh you know sort of the the pathway to the other side of of that uh you know inc- includes you know uh, uh continuing to work in some fashion but having the freedom to be able to reimagine what that work looks like and and yeah. you know i think that i don't have the statistic off the top of my head but i read um, you know, that the rate of people who are in their 60s starting their own business is accelerating significantly for a number of reasons, which we kind of talked about, pandemic and ages and all that sort of stuff. But also it's, it's people having a desire to have more control over their lives. And I think that that's one of the things that, uh, you know, those, those of us who got sent home from their you know, day-to-day corporate world I uh, realized that, uh, yeah, um, I, I like the idea of collaborating, and having colleagues, but it doesn't have to be eight, 10 plus hours a day, five days a week, <laughs> right. you know, we get the benefits of corporate culture with a lot less than five days a week in the office full time, exactly in my
1: exactly opinion. Exactly. So true. So I have to ask this question just because, you know, it's my thing, but what, if any role do you feel like real estate has in a good kind of retirement plan? I mean, most financial advisors are like, you know, no, thank you. <laughs> but I feel like it's a strong, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a viable um, option for people. Uh,
0: I don't I don't disagree. I, I would say there's a couple of different contexts when you talk about real estate in that in that way. Um, you know, a lot of people are, especially if you've been in your house for a while or whatever, and built up a, a lot of equity. A lot of people have a lot of their net worth already tied up in real estate. Right. That's it's true. not it's not a positive cash contributor uh, because you, you know, you're paying taxes, and whatnot, but you're living there. But there's a rent equivalent that you would have to pay otherwise. So right. uh, so that is technically an investment. If you think about it that way and at some point, you know, uh, at some point you, you might, uh, you know, you'll sell it and move to a smaller place or, you know, whatever the plan is. Yeah. um so a lot of people already have a lot tied up in their real estate and and while it's technically not part of the financial plan it is part of a diversification if you think about that yeah uh, and then and then you know you uh and you have in your your other podcast uh you talk a lot about real estate and income producing properties and you know a lot goes into those uh and you know there's the value of the property you know the cost of financing that property and the in the cost of upkeep and then what you can, what you can rent it out for, for example. Um, So, uh, so I think from an income standpoint, uh, it could be, you know, a a good, a good contributor, but you, it's like everything else. You're taking a risk, you're take you're leveraging a property and you want that property to appreciate, or at least not depreciate over time. Uh, And so that all kind of factors into the, Uh, the equation as well. And, you know, we've seen real estate values go up a lot uh, as, as you know, and so where it's easy to overpay, just like you can overpay for stocks too. So, you know, that's all kind of part of the, part of the equation. I would uh, it's also an illiquid asset. Mm -hmm. So it costs a lot to, you know, sell if you need to sell, it takes time. So, you know, liquidity is a big, component to, to that as part of the risk that is, it goes with that. So I I wouldn't say there's no place, but I think it needs to be thought of in the context of, of your overall household situation, including your own primary residence.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I mean, it's true if you're getting ready to retire and you expect to sell that property and get a smaller one, but I I discourage people from thinking of their primary residence as an asset because it's not making you any money on on a monthly basis. Right. Yeah. People think, oh, you know, I've got all this money. Well, <laughs> first of all, like you said, today you do. And next week you might not and you <laughs> have to sell it to get that money out. And right. you also have to leave and go live on the street if you want to get that money out. So definitely have to think about it in all of its different aspects. But no, I appreciate that's a very good, thoughtful am- answer. So what other kinds of things do you uh, want to share that I haven't thought to ask or, you know, things that that are important for people to understand that I maybe just didn't even have the, the backstory to, to know, to ask. (laughs)
0: Um, Well, I think that, uh, um, you know, retirement is a concept that my industry um, kind of uh, fed into uh, over the last, you know, 40 years. Uh, this kind of arbitrary uh, arbitrary idea that uh, you know once you get to a certain date or a certain number then it's it's time to stop working um, and you know that was in the best interest of my industry because the more people yeah. saved and invested the more you know uh, people who do what I do would would make in terms of their money uh, their earnings so um, but now as we look to, the other side of that, from a demographic standpoint, um, one of the most important things to me is the education component of what I do in, in, in terms of not just the planning, but investing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and one of the things to me is, uh, that's important is transparency and, and educating uh, clients about what it is that I do and taking the mystery out of some of the investment concepts. And so the education component is an an important thing uh, to me, just from a philosophical standpoint. But also demographically, um, it's very important to me and others that you think about both parts of the household, both uh, if if it's a married couple, for example. And in helping make sure that both spouses are well-educated and comfortable with what it is that's going on in their portfolios. Because statistically, the wife is going to live about five to seven years longer than the man. And um, uh, one statistic I saw is that male advisors, and 86% of the people in this business are males, uh, seven out of ten widows will fire that male advisor <laughs> because what got you here won't get you there, and exactly. you have to have a very different conversation with the with the uh, with the woman. And you know, uh, you know, our our kitchen table is uh, is a great example of that. My wife, thank God, my kids got her her brains. Uh, she's, she's very, uh, you know, uh, brilliant, but, um, uh, talking about our investments, talking about things so that she feels, uh, comfortable with what it is that we're doing, even going into my own corporate retirement, you know, the couple of years before that, there was a, there was a lot of conversations that it was appropriate that we have because she, like we were talking about earlier, she wanted to know, are we going to be okay? And uh, to me, that conversation is an important conversation to have more and more and more, because uh, you know, obviously it's important for the for the the man in that relationship to to have confidence in what you're doing, but it's even more important in my mind that that women feel comfortable, particularly because of they they tend to be on average um, a little more risk averse than men. And, and so really helping them understand about the risk mitigation uh, uh, techniques that go into some of the strategies that we deploy uh, and, and helping them not only feel confident that, that the risk is in hand, uh, but also understanding how, the, uh, how it's done. And so the education uh, to me is that that's an important component to it as well.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask like I don't I bet a lot of people men and women don't really understand what's going on in their portfolio. They don't know why they would sell something or buy it. They're just completely looking at you to answer that question for them. Which is a problem if they fire you later and then you, you know, or, or their financial advisor later and then they're just like, "Oh, you know, I need money. I'm just going to sell this stock because" random, you know, alphabetically it came up first or something, you know what I mean? It's, that people don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's shocking how many people don't really have a good idea about how the stock market works and, you know, why they would do one thing versus another. So yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. And that's why we we put a, try to put a lot of content on our website. Um, That's just really just kind of educational in nature to help people if they're inclined to learn, um, you know. Try to make that stuff as accessible as possible. Yeah, definitely, absolutely.
1: Well, um, Michael, um, thank you so much for being with us today. I was going to say, is there anything else that you want to share? You know, as we sort of wrap up today, anything else that you wish I would have asked you that I didn't ask?
0: Um, no, I think I think it was, it was a, a really great conversation. I certainly enjoyed it. Right. Um, you know uh, you know, I'm here to help folks. I'm here to have, uh, hopefully good conversations with folks, even if they decide not to do business, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, uh, I, I just appreciate the opportunity to, to chat with you.
1: Thank you. Absolutely. Me too. Um, so Michael, how can people get in touch with you? I mean, we're going to put all of this in the show notes as well, but you know, in case somebody wants to just jot it down now and just give them your info. Sure.
0: Uh, the website is newlanternadvisors.com. Uh, my email is mike at newlanternadvisors.com. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn and on Twitter, but I don't, I don't use Twitter as much, uh, but pretty active on on LinkedIn as well. Um, that I'm that Mike Allison.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes, I am that Mike Allison.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the reason... That, a bit of an aside but uh the reason that i i did that is that there's a very famous hockey player that played for 10 years for the new york rangers from 1980 to 1990 and his name is he's canadian his name is mike allison as well and uh and so uh more than one person has asked me are you that Mike exactly. Allison?" <laughs> so that's where that the, that's where the, the linkedin and the twitter handle came from that Mike oh, and good... yeah, there
1: was a famous. um Horse, you know, jockey who actually won the Kentucky Derby, named Chris McCarron, and so I was in high school. That was the headline: Chris McCarron wins Kentucky Derby. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I could have that too. No, I'm not that Chris McCarron. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Mike, for being with us today. And thank you listener for listening. I hope it's given you some things to think about, about your, you know, how retirement can look different. And that means it has to act different. It means it has to maybe be financed differently than you might've been thinking. So give Mike a call and also share this podcast with somebody who you think might be thinking along those lines. And please be be sure to be here next week when we're going to have some other great tips to share with you. In the meantime, have a great week. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.